Hello, I'm Sheila Atwana and I'm the editor of Play On Podcast. As part of Black History Month, I'm honoured to be today's host, speaking to our guest, Sam Spencer, really a man of myriad talents, as you're about to find out. Sam is Alda's new writing rep and our Access, Diversity and Equity rep. Is there anything you can't do, Sam? Football. The, my, my life fear is, you know, when um, you know when you're walking past the park and someone kicks a football in your direction, and it's like yeah. you need to and keep the football back. No, no, I'm not touching it. You can come over here and get the ball. <laughs> Do you kick it and it goes the other way? Like I'm not even going to try. I'm not. I'm not going anywhere near that embarrassment. <laughs> I love that. Well, we are so glad to have you. I thought I'd get warmed up with a quick fire question Q and A. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's do this. What were your own first steps into Oxford drama like? Um, the very first thing that I did was there was a lockdown shakeup, um, so like a kind of Shakespeare monologue festival. So I just thought, why not? We're trapped at home. I might as well sign up. So I did a monologue for that. It was a bit of new writing. And then the term after, I was assistant director on V-Cards. Um, it, did, it did start out, it was meant to be staged and in person, but then there was a second lockdown. So then that took our turns into radio play. And then, yeah, from there, just sort of started with the Black Lives playlist and other various bits and bumps. So lockdown didn't dampen your enthusiasm at all, if anything. <laughs> That's great. What's the thing or essential piece of advice that you wish you'd known when you were a fresher, first becoming a member of ALDS? I wish I'd known how actually non-scary it is as soon as you start genuinely well at least my experience is that so the people that are here and get involved in drama are so kind and supportive and generous and you could literally just message any of them with any kind of questions and you'll get all that sort of love and support back from people it's it's been so nice I can attest to that you were the one of the people who facilitated um my new writing and so and you were absolutely brilliant I have to say What's your favourite memory of your time without so far? Um, my favourite memory was actually with Ficard, the radio play. We did a listening party where we listened to like the complete version before it got put out into the world. And obviously this was still whilst it was in lockdown, so we couldn't like go to a pub as the cast or anything like that. So we were all just kind of like in our own various rooms on this sort of big Zoom call, everyone getting sort of like increasingly tipsy, but still sort of <laughs> dressed in our sort of black tie and all the dresses and everything looking very fancy in Zoom. And that was the first time that we sort of probably just got to chat as a cast and just have a bit of a laugh. And then I, they, CV card, they then, they then did in-person run in London a year later over the summer. And I went to go and see that and got to see all the cast again and again, that was just, really nice and lovely really? a good fun time well, that sounds like a lot of fun i think the next question deserves a longer response uh, i mean long more time for you to respond because it's really important what's the dream play or musical you'd like to tackle whether as an actor director producer or any of the fantastic skills that you have say what you feel <laughs> i say the new stuff actually i was speaking to another um another sort of an, an actor that's around Alds over the summer about this and we were just having a good old natter about our favourite bits of like 18th century black British history because that period is so fascinating and there's so many fantastic little personal stories from people like Francis Barber and um, 
Sarah Forbes Bonetta, which are yeah. just sort of like they're, they're just there, and they're yeah, right the the so much fun to have in that period. Is so it's just wacky and wild and complicated, and it's just not at all. It's not at all the, the sort of dry, dreary, sad kind of black narratives that often kind of appear. They're just they're genuinely fascinating. Like Francis Barber, I've got his biography there on my oh. shelf and the more I read it it just <laughs> he just basically he, even though he's kind of like enslaved and is sort of given to his master um Samuel Johnson like they genuinely just kind of become father and son and it's actually such a heartfelt little story and there's a bit where he's like a teenager and goes on like a while he kind of a wild genuine he's like right I'm leaving I'm going out of the house and he goes and joins the navy and things like that it's yeah that fantastic. sounds brilliant I have to I'm gonna have to um pilfer that from you and maybe swap with um, a book on Ira Aldridge. There's a player as well. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, we could go on for ages about that. Um, thank you for sharing. You have written a wonderful play called Quartet. I know that uh -huh. it's a story that the audience would love to hear about, not least because of the fantastic music, music to feature. Yeah, one second. I pulled this up before. Here's the summary that I can, I can tell you. Okay. Um, so, Set in the short window of intense hope and optimism, just before Labour's election defeat in 2019 and the unprecedented events of 2020, four ambitious friends find their futures in jeopardy when a place script threatens to reveal their darkest secrets. Accompanied by, swing, by singing, dancing and live jazz bands, Quartet promises to be an intimate showstopper that exposes the underpinning truths, tensions and violence of a friendship that dances on the edge of catastrophe. Yeah, that sounds like good fun. Why not? Wow. Just yeah. wow. Like the senses explode <laughs> as you're reading it. What I, I'm not going to um, ask for any spoiler alerts, but what was it that drew you to this story? What, what was it that made you want to write this story? I don't, I don't know. It's, weird. it's a weird kind of. I don't know whether you were also like as a writer feel the same about sort of thing. where has this idea come from they just sort of like spring out of various things that just sort of join together sure. but I guess in terms of the development of it and you know realizing what it was that I was actually telling just it, it was coming off the back of both lockdown happening but then also it was a time where there was all those sort of big wildfires in Australia and mm -hmm. seeing things not to make it political but things that are happening in the government and all of that sort of stuff yes. and it was just sort of thinking about that intense optimism that people expect like especially in, in this sort of younger generation for mm -hmm. people like Sharon Moon Corbyn and Labour and all of this and then seeing how the world just seems to swing in a completely opposite direction yeah there was a lot of those kind of anxieties and fears got put into it but then also like it is a very upbeat yeah. piece and there is a lot about these kind of the heartfelt friendships between the characters so yeah it just sort of it very much drew on my sort of experiences at the end of school and my friends and the things that we worried about and thought about and mm -hmm. the way that we kind of showed our love for each other but then through that with the sort of 1920s background because obviously everyone was like 2020s going to be like the 1920s again how long we were mm -hmm. but yeah, all of that just kind of fused together. I think that's amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, and thank you for sharing the the thought process because it's quite hard to talk about. I didn't realise it's quite hard to talk about your work. 
sometimes yeah. it's really i mean you did a brilliant job but um yeah <laughs> um you also created a productions company strike back productions how did that idea come about it was um it came about just sort of as we were doing black lives playlist track one and so i'd sort of shared the script with a really good friend of mine shruti basic and we were just sort of talking over it and sort of what form it would take and where we'd put it out into the world and whether we and it ended up from that conversation growing into a broader project but obviously we, there was this sort of practicality of when you're sort of in working in out what I'd like you to do is create a production company so that so that you can um, bid for the different performance spaces and get money from the various funding bodies that are around in the uni. And it also helps to marketing and things like that. So part of it was practical, but in terms of why Strikes Back was created and behind its name, it kind of comes from, I really should know who wrote this, but there's a famous kind of post-colonial sort of critical text called The Empire Strikes Back, which right. is, um, so that's kind of where the name comes from, but we took out the empire part because we'd like to broaden it out beyond just sort of race and colonial issues mm -hmm. that so it could have a much broader reach. So yeah, we were just quite keen that we do work, not just the Black Lives Folks, but do work that is quite politically engaged and is um for and from the perspective of and from the perspective of marginalized voices yeah. um so yeah that was our kind of founding ethos i guess brilliant absolutely brilliant um you mentioned the black lives matter playlist could you talk about that just briefly um i think it's in two separate volumes is that right mm. yeah. yeah so the black lives playlist it was it kind of sprung off to, so the, the first piece that i wrote um which is all about the sort of the haunting of slavery i feel like that was sort of like the tagline that we used from it but also generational um kind of differences and also the comedy that comes from that and it was just a small kind of 30 minute inside number nine inspired kind of filler piece and after the end of that we just kind of thought like is this enough like we can do more with it there's more there's more stories that we can tell there's more perspectives we can you know we can put more of it out in the world so then we just thought of well how about we just let this grow and become a bigger situation so it's a playlist because there can be as many tracks as many volumes additions to it as possible and just um really grow up from there to tell as many different stories and as many different perspectives and in different genres and in different forms as possible because we yeah. really want it to be about black life and it's big myriad of different ways rather than saying anything specific about this is what it's like the, the, the this is what it's like is that it's so wide and so diverse um so it just kind of made sense to just keep it going that's brilliant and it reminds me a bit of this uh, program that i saw called black film is not a genre because mm. absolutely we are multifaceted hence you know mm. that that's absolutely um spot on i was going to ask you about the audience if they want to access the playlist what how could they do that is it possible yes yes it's all still on youtube so if you search either black lives playlist track one or track two or you search for our production company strikes back you'll be able to find it on youtube they're still excellent. there excellent please do that um audience now um you're leading a bid for the north wall for a new show lions mm -hmm. versus panthers is this going to be different from the playlists or are they a natural progression? Is it a natural progression from that project 
And how do you decide on a new show? The Black Clothes playlist, originally there was there were three tracks that we had for it. So we had planned originally before before further lockdowns that we were going to make it all as one movie and it was going to be a triptych. So we'd get three stories in one and there are going to be interviews in between the different bits, but unfortunately that couldn't happen. So the third piece that we had, it just now that we're not obviously not completely out of the woods, but in terms of COVID, but we actually felt that what we want is to do something in person and we want to do something that is just much more celebratory and much more energetic and lively. And yeah. that's kind of where the idea for Lions v Panthers came from. So Lions v Panthers, it's it's sort of set to a backdrop of the of 1972 and it's kind of like the heyday of um, the Black British Panthers. But it, alongside that sort of darker side of the period where, you know, there is still all these, all these institutional issues and the need for the Black Panthers, it, that is also the era of, you know, Calypso music and the massive afros and the flares and the house parties and all that sort of stuff. So there's that, these two completely opposite sides of Black experience at the time. So we, we want to delve into both, but we really want it to be fun and from a very youthful perspective. So it is about three siblings that just go on this wild farcical escapade and it we don't uh, and without compromising on the politics or the seriousness of it it can be something that the audience can just have as fun yeah um, yeah so it's so yeah it's been born from the black lives playlist i don't think we're necessarily explicitly tying them but they're still mm -hmm. you know that connection is still there and yeah in terms of coming up with new ideas i think that was your next question I don't know. I guess people come at it from different perspectives. I kind of quite like to go from, well, just the kind of things that I'm interested in at the time. Yeah. I usually just go, oh, I quite like that. Let's see what I can do with that <laughs> idea for that in the script. But then, yeah, also, you know, kind of being aware of the world that we're in and kind of the things that audiences are after. Like, I think at the moment, people just want a bit of fun and a bit yeah. of comedy. I don't think I'm going to go down and go down to watch like a really serious one hour gritty drama that's just going to emotionally drain me. That's not, it's not the time for that at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And I don't want to bog you down with the production side, but I think it, it might, it, you know, there may be some budding product producers out there. What does the mm -hmm. bidding process involve? Yeah, so there's different parts of the bidding process. One, I mean, um, one of the key parts is to do with the script and the kind of vision of the show. So that may involve, you may need to send over like a draft or whether it's scenes and a synopsis, you know, just so you can tell whoever's, going, whoever's looking at it, what this play is initially. Also, they usually ask for crew biographies that will depend kind of venue to venue how much experience they're expecting from you i mean somewhere like the burton taylor like you can be quite a newcomer for the burton taylor because it is a small black box theater and the tech there is very easy you can very easily pick it up if you're going for like a bigger venue where money is much more of a bigger issue and you need to make sure that you're selling tickets and that sort of thing they may expect a more experienced crew they will also like a bid so that will be like a a document where you outline where you think you're going to get the money from how you think you're going to spend the money how much money that can sound really scary i think the money part is the thing where most people go oh my god i don't have a clue this is serious and this is money but actually there's a really useful document online if you go to the ads website mm -hmm. 
it's somewhere on the web Alta website. It will signpost for you. I can't say right off the, off the top of my head, but there's a really easy Excel document where if you downloaded it, it just spells everything out for you and you literally just have to input the numbers and it will do all the calculations. Oh, that's the that kind of document that I love. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, as the new writing rep for the ALS committee, what have you learned and what words of wisdom do you have for anybody who's listening who might be unsure about sharing their work? Well, I think um, coming back to what we were discussing just a bit before, how genuinely supportive and caring this drama community can be. Like I, um, I think all the projects that I've done so far, they kind of began just by throwing a script out into the world and then people going oh yeah I'll be that I'll give you some notes I'll take that up I'll direct that and yeah because there was if, if, if just think about all the people that are here in this drama community there was all there are always going to be people that are interested in the story that you want to tell mm-hmm. so just kind of trust that I would say people will be nice there, all, there always will be people I mean I'll always be there if anyone ever wants to send me drop me an email of Sam can you take a look at this sure I'll give it a read why not yeah say, the, yes please take note of that because Sam is brilliant I mean as, and as well as if you get a script like Sheila's where and she did the um out podcast the first time those are always a pleasure to read and if our listeners haven't listened to them go back in a couple of episodes you'll find them they are fab you're very kind thank you you also have responsibility of overseeing diversity and access within the drama society how can you ensure the greatest diversity of perspectives are told in student drama yeah this is this can sometimes be a bit of a tricky one and like i'm always having various conversations with this about various people out or otherwise about how this can happen because there is a point sort of i guess at the end of the day where there's only you you can only have the people that you've kind of got around you to make these stories but then also the people that you've got around you in the drama scene to then act it like it would be lovely to have a script that was I don't know, like set in Africa and let's say set in Tanzania and it's a load, like a big family in Tanzania and they've got all their friends around. That may not necessarily be a thing that you can put on stage and ensure that you have all the black actors that you can able to do the accents and the characters justice, which can be something that's tricky in this scene. But that being said, ours is really making a concerted effort and not just as a committee but people in our community in general are making a very concerted effort to make sure that we do get as many diverse voices as possible and there's always funding available both from ours and from oxbame and the BAME drama society that means that those kind of walls that may be in place are hopefully not as existent so money is very accessible yes yeah i i I loved how they are they're, they're distinct, but they work together. That's the feel that I had, that there was a collaboration and that was really encouraging. Yeah, definitely. And also, I guess, just on the back of that as well, really, I think we're also very much trying to have like a much more visible presence because there are a lot of people of colour and oh, and diversity in a, not mm-hmm. just in a race specific context mm-hmm. of a load of different forms of identities. There are so many different types of people in Oxford drama at the moment who would love to do these stories like they genuinely will they're just waiting for a person to put it out there in the world and then to sort of join it and take it on so I think one of the things that we're really keen on is making that visible presence of you know making our faces and identities known and all this so people feel like they can go 
Oh yeah, I'm also here. Let me join in with that project. Yeah, it is a yeah. We are a community that really wants to do that. So, any listener that's listening, throw that script out into our ads um, writers group. See what happens. People will want to do it. Absolutely. So I was thinking about one of the assignments that I had once, and it was to watch an episode of a famous soap, and to count the scenes. There were about I don't know twenty three, but I remember scene one there was a deaf character, scene two there was a queer character, scene three a black man, scene four a woman who required a wheelchair, and so on. Really, you know, it was just like everything will put someone in, and we should be grateful, right? Yet somehow it there was something missing. It was like you know when you see a meal that's beautiful, so good, and you taste it, and you're like. Mm. Something rang a bit false. So what can, how can somebody like you, a director or a producer leading a production company ensure that inclusion is at the center of their approach, but without resorting to tokenism? I mean, you mentioned already, if you've got, you know, maybe we can't do a, a, a Tanzanian play about a Tanzanian family with all the accents because, you know, it's just not possible. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of inclusion, there's, uh, it seems like there's two quite definite strands, but I think the first strand, which is a bit easier, is um, the kind of after the script, after the fact of the script, um, in terms of how you cast it. And I think I, I was actually just having a conversation about this maybe last week or so with the uni drama officer and Grace Olasola, our welfare officer, um, talking about how we kind of cast, um, cast for plays inclusively. And I think a really important thing that people can do is take a step beyond their initial thoughts of this is who the script is for Mm -hmm. and think, well, actually, how about if we cast it in these slightly different ways and really just open the field? And not only is that good for, you know, opening opportunities and all this sort of stuff, but some really interesting things can come out of your play if you start sort of playing with who it was it would traditionally be, be played by so yeah that's one really important part and the second part is about the narratives and the kind of stories that you're telling obviously you don't want to just sort of tokenize people and i think one of the key parts of writing and who you're writing about is actually sort of properly stopping to think wait what what what, what am i doing this for like like who is this for why am i writing them i mean it it is i could i could go on about this we could have like a full <laughs> i think we, we have to meet up to talk because i this was not <laughs> a three-hour chat I, I promise you so i know thank you so much for handling it so beautifully you don't you don't want to have to justify why a person is in your script because the world there are so many different types of people that exist mm-hmm. in the world in all sorts of different communities like black people queer people disabled people mm-hmm. exist everywhere yeah so you don't necessarily need to justify them but equally it can be worth thinking well actually if that person is in this community or in, in this type of scripts what does that identity bring to it how would yeah. people see them differently how what kind of experiences what kind of history are they bringing to it um which is something that's important con- to consider but equally again see there's so many different caveats yeah. it's also um equally things can just kind of be left left open in that space i mean it's not like people of color are going around talking about their experiences as people of color every single mm-hmm. hour of the day and you can go whole days without it ever yeah. kind of mattering because you just kind of exist in your skin mm-hmm. But I think the underlying issue, the underlying takeaway, I guess, is to just stop and think, okay, who is this person in my spirits? What kind of 
why are they there is it literally just because they're there in that community and mm -hmm. in that world so we'll just put them there sure why not have them there but if it is just we need to tick off these minority boxes maybe stop and think why are you doing that yeah, yeah. i'm getting whiplash i'm nodding you're absolutely 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 right um and finally if a member of ALDS does have problem with discrimination i want to say that i it's so it's at such a place now it's so amazing that i doubt it but you know who who are we to speak on people's issues if there are such issues or even just not being sure of how to broach sensitive topics in one's work where can they go for help and support yeah that's a great question i think for more severe things or for if it is a welfare issue then grace solisola who i mentioned before welfare is her thing so she's great to talk to um i guess if it's something that's maybe not so far on that severity but is regarding um access diversity equity the thing kind of within my remit sure i'm always there to have a chat i'd love to and equally i can then sort of take things to the committee where we can properly sit and discuss okay this seems to be an issue what can we do about it to resolve it and then i think in terms of the sensitive material that you have in a play and how to deal with that whether it's that you're a writer or director or producer whatever i think obviously like it was, um obviously like i'm as here as a person that you can always speak to grace as well as someone that you can speak to but i think one of the important things to do is actually speak with people of that identity or of that community that you are representing because they will be able to tell you things they will be able to point the things out and go we are sick of people saying these what, types oh, of things about us or doing these stories in these ways so do speak with those people and take it into and take it into mind um obviously scripts kind of can be tricky sometimes because you're not you know at the not to sound pretentious you're kind of but you are making art and not an argument so things can sometimes be tricky and sometimes yes. you can allow it to be tricky but just as long as you do have those discussions and you do come to confident decision on this is how we're going to do this but having it grounded in those conversations and being sensitive and being alert to those things then i think that's a good starting place that's fantastic. Thank you for being so generous with your time and your words. Uh, please, could you tell listeners where they can follow your work? Yes. So we are Strikes Back Productions. So you can find us at Strikes Back Productions on Facebook and on Instagram. Um, you can also find us on YouTube. That's where you can find our filmed work. Also search Strikes Back Productions. If there's some, if you you can email me in terms of new writing based things you can email me at ouds.newwriting at gmail.com um, you can also email me at ouds.diversityaccessequity at gmail.com whichever one of those two camps your queries or questions fall under yeah those are the best ways of getting in touch with me it was wonderful speaking to you thank you so much sam this has been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me that was Sam Spencer and his play Quartet is showing at the Burton Taylor Studio on week seven from Tuesday the 23rd of November to Saturday the 27th of November and that plays from 9.30 to 10.30pm. Don't miss it. Thank you for listening to the ALDS podcast. Our editors are Hannah Gallardo-Parsons and Sheila Atwarner and marketing is led by Anya Braithwaite. The podcast is produced by Charlotte Baxendale, Noah Wilde and Lizzie Carr. 
If you enjoy the podcast, please do get in touch on oudspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Thank you.